true will is quiet humility, resilience, and flexibility. The other kind of will is weakness disguised by bluster and ambition. See which lasts longer under the hardest of obstacles. I'm Curtis, my pal over there, who's traveling this week, is Joe, and we are Dudes in Progress. Hey, Joe, how's everything in Texas? Everything's bigger in Texas, including problems. (laughs) You're having some problems? We had a little bit of issue hooking up to our audio today, and no, everything's fine. I flew into Dallas yesterday and made the drive to my ultimate destination here in West Texas, and here I am at a beautiful Hampton Inn, and uh, yeah. I think I'm going to like this idea of us recording early in the morning. It really works out well for my schedule. I know you're a morning person too. Yeah, it sure does. This is is kind of a fun test. And I think we've done a couple of early morning sessions. I will have a lot of travel coming up. So this is really a good test to do this. Well, what'd you think of my opening? True will, quiet humility, resilience, and flexibility. It's an interesting thought. When I think about will, I think about mustering the power to do something. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's what I think about. That's what he's saying here is, but he's giving us a twist on this. He says, this other kind of will is weakness disguised by bluster and ambition. It's kind of what you're describing. That's what I would have thought too. So this is an interesting twist. I don't think I got the first time through the book until I started studying for today's episode. Yeah. So repeat the first part again about will. What does he say is the good part of will? True will is quiet humility, resilience, and flexibility. Okay. If you want to will yourself to do something, let's say you just don't have the motivation in the moment and you want to will yourself to do something. Is that the kind of will that we're talking about here? Let me me give you an example. See if you know who I'm talking about. As Joe would say, give me some grace. I think you'll know what I'm doing here as I get into this. Awesome. Age nine, his mother died. Later would become estranged with his father. Age 23, ran for state legislature and lost. He eventually won two years later. Also lost his job in the same year and attempted to get into law school, but failed. Age 24, borrowed money from a friend to begin a separate business. By the end of the year, it had failed, and he was bankrupt and in debt. Age 26, his sweetheart, his girlfriend, suddenly died. This left him with a broken heart. Age 27, suffered a nervous breakdown. Age 29, sought to become the Speaker of the State Legislature and lost. Age 34, failed to achieve party's nomination to Congress, though would run again and win three years later. Age 39, stepped down from Congress at his party's behest, though he wanted to stay. Age 40, attempted to get the job of land officer in his home state and was rejected. Age 45, defeated for the nomination to the U.S. Senate. Age 47, entered to receive the vice presidential nomination and was soundly defeated. Age 49, once again, he was defeated for the nomination to the U.S. Senate. Who am I talking about, Joe? Is that Abraham Lincoln? Yes, you win. Yeah. You win the the prize. Not only that is he is an incredible vampire hunter. There's a movie. I don't (laughs) want to steal your thunder here because I love Abraham Lincoln. There's a movie out there called Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. 
I think that just shows and, his legend. And it is surprisingly good. <laughs> I mean, right? You know, if horror, it's a horror movie, but just <laughs> the way they the way they surround Abraham Lincoln's legacy yeah. is awesome. But yeah, Abraham Lincoln is he is one of history's great examples of perseverance and coming through tragedy. Right. So now let's go back to that intro. True will is quiet humility. He had that. Resilience. He certainly had that. And I would say he had flexibility too, because he went down many different roads that did not work out. But as we all know, he became the president of the United States. And to this day considered when the public is polled, left, right, Democrat, Republican, is considered the greatest president of all time. Saved the union. Yeah. Freed the slaves. I mean, right. Can you, right. How do you, Pretty I mean, awesome. the only one that historians, George were, Washington, yeah. maybe George Washington there. Yeah. Um, they'll argue between the two. Right. Right. One and two, you might get argument, but still of all of our presidents, he's very revered to the point where they even put him in movies going after vampires. Apparently <laughs> he has resilience. Well, I think about a word missing in there that is wrapped up in that description is patience. Yeah. When I think about Will, that's interesting. This does cause me pause to rethink sustainable change. Right. Because if you will your way through something in the traditional sense, which means you muster up the energy, you muster up the courage, you muster up whatever it takes in the moment, the bluster, uh, as that quote put it. Right. You may get some results. Right. But are they sustainable? Exactly. I'm going to have to, because I'm a will kind of guy. I know. And I think you are too. Sometimes you just got to push your way through, right? Yeah. And I think there's a space for that Mm. in particular moments. And I don't think it's all in wisdom to keep on pushing and pushing. We talked about this a little bit last episode. Of course, we're talking about the book, The Obstacle is the Way. We're finishing up. This is the last section. We talked about perception action last week and now this is a section on will i like the way you attacked last episode joe where you know there's several chapters in this section i picked three or four here i gave you a little bit of the intro the section i'm looking at is anticipation the art of acquiescence which is an interesting word i hope i said it properly and perseverance those are the three sections i'm pulling out for our discussion today, Joe. And now, anticipation. He talks about this concept of pre-mortem. We look to envision what could go wrong, what will go wrong in advance before we start. Sometimes your ambitious undertakings fail for preventable reasons. Many people don't have a backup plan. They consider something that might not go exactly as they wish. So your plan and the way things turn out rarely resemble each other. What you think you deserve is rarely what you get. So I sent you a few questions before, only like a day ago. But Joe, can you think of a time when plan B or C was better than your plan A? Where plan B or C was better than my plan A. Right. So you had a plan A going in and you were invested in that plan. You have a strong will and you're going after it, working at it hard. Something said to you, I don't know, I'm banging on this door and it's not really getting me in the direction I want to go. So maybe I should look to a different plan, B or C. 
I often go back to my past history, career moves I made. One of them, I, I tell you, I was even in high school, I was always searching for what I wanted to do when I grew up into college and after college. Didn't really have the degree that was the place where I was going to end up. But I remember applying, I was probably 10 years into my career at my bearing manufacturer. And I was starting to get better in technology. I knew a lot of people on the business side, the technical side of the things I was doing. And there was this position that was open in manufacturing. I don't know if you've heard of the Oracle company. Probably heard of Oracle. Of course. And they had manufacturing systems that we used in our plants. And they had a need for a developer. And I applied for that. I felt like I had all the connections, all the ability to get the job. I was very confident. I knew the manager who I was working with. I've done some good things with that person. Matter of fact, it even got came down to one other person and me. It was very clear to me that it was come down to two people. And Joe, I didn't get the job. Boo. I was very disappointed in that, of course. I felt pretty confident. You know what it came down to? The other person I was up against, I didn't know at the time, but had been doing training in that Oracle technology. And I didn't have that. That was the one thing I didn't have that the other person had. And so I lost that. And so that was very disappointing. But I mean, my, my goal was to get into a technology that I could thrive in, that I could be a developer in. I was right on the cusp of that, and I was looking for the technology or a project or somewhere in the company I could. I was always looking for that opportunity. And maybe a month later, the sales group was working and bringing in consultants for a new technology into the company called Lotus Notes. And again, I knew the manager really well. I got confident about that. There wasn't much competition. It was not a technology that many people knew about. And there weren't a lot of people out in the industry doing it. And I got that job, get to cut to the point. And that technology carried me over for 15 years, quite frankly, into what led to what I'm doing today. So what I'm saying is that plan A that I thought was my path was not the right technology. Matter of fact, that technology died a lot sooner than my Lotus Notes ever would. And I did really well financially and my satisfaction at work went sky high. I got really good at it really fast. When you think about the plans that you've put in place, your plan A, did you have a, did you have a plan B or did the plan B arise out of necessity? I don't think I was smart enough to have a plan B. I think I, but one thing I did have was that flexibility at, at eventually, right? Okay. That one didn't work. Maybe that's not for me. And I've had this sense, I think, Maybe it's in our faith base. Sometimes I feel God doesn't want me to go in that direction and they shut that door. I've had that feeling many times. I'm praying for an opportunity. So I think that the idea here is don't be that, you don't have to be that specific. I think you got to be brought a little broader in your ambition and like water flow to where that opportunity is. It's not always what you think it is. Kurt, I'm not sure I have an answer for your question, honestly, but I have a commentary on the concept. Yeah. How often do we, do we put a plan B together? 
So when you talk about being specific, how often do we have our plan A and that's it? Right. And we're forced into a plan B. I think 99.5% of the time, <laughs> I have a plan A. Right. And that's all I have. Yeah. Plan A. And when plan A doesn't work out, plan B arises in the moment. There's something right in front of you. you don't, I don't know if you're even seeing it, Joe. It just happened to you over the last month or so. You went to you mean a, with the job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's funny. I, and I have, I probably have a, a couple career related items that I might be able to speak to. Yeah. And I, I'm, I, and the reason I'm getting hung up is that's my go-to. And I guess, I guess that's all of our go-tos. You, you used a related item for yours. Yeah. And I, I was trying to think of something a little more personal and a little more, a little more, yeah. uh, maybe that's not career related. I understand. Yeah. But my question is, should we have a plan B always? What is the better way? Is it too rigid to have a plan to have, okay, if plan A doesn't work out, here's my plan B. Or do we need to be broader in our mindset to say, okay, here's plan A. I'm not married to it. Yeah. I'm not completely committed to it. This is just the, this is where I think it's going to go. But if it doesn't go, I'm open to other creative opportunities, other creative yeah. solutions. Yeah, I've often told you the story that I like from this author, Mike Dooley. He came from The Secret, really. And we may talk about, I'm actually reading the book right now on the Law of Attraction again, Joe. But some of the concepts that they talk about really resonate with me. And one of them, he was at the end of his rope, sold a company, had some money, but had no idea and kind of not getting along in his life. Not a young guy. No prospects of what he was going to do next. So he came up with three ideas. And as he explains it, they all sucked. So he decided to try the less suckiest of the three. And it was to go back and start applying or looking for a job in accounting, which is what he left before he started his business. And he quickly found not a lot of people wanted him back to that career. Oh, my gosh. Nobody. Wow. Didn't seem to him like the doors he was knocking on were opening yet. He kept writing. He wrote these, what he called notes from the universe. He kept writing these and he started getting feedback from people that really enjoyed these, which led to one thing, which led to another, to his public speaking and becoming an author and going on world tours on that particular topic, which he found to be exactly beyond what he thought he wanted to exactly what he wanted. So I think it's more of the flexibility. And leaving yourself open. Yeah. The yeah. flexibility and leaving yourself open. And I that might be one and the same. Yeah. When I think about leaving myself open to other opportunities, it doesn't mean that I'm wishy-washy on where I'm heading. It, it just means that if this doesn't work, right? not even if this doesn't work, because there is some, there is benefit saying burn the boats, right? Yeah. Right. There is some benefit to saying, you know what? Yeah. This is going to work. <laughs> but also when, when you burn the boats, it just means you're not, you're not looking back. You're moving forward, whatever forward means. And that's where yeah. the flexibility, that's yeah. where the flexibility comes. It's not like, okay, I have to reach point A no matter what. Yeah. I, be open. Generally, this is where I want to be. Yeah. Be open to other possibilities, other strategies. Yeah. Yep. I was thinking of, again, going house hunting or going car shopping. I hate to bring that up again because your last car shopping was not 
an enjoyable experience. But I was relating my house hunting. I was not open to this house that was owned by the bank that had many problems that I'd have to fix. But it ended up being the better thing. I was open to my wife's perspective on that. Right. All right. right. The art of acquiescence. Do you know what that means, Joe? Acquiesce. That's where you acquiesce to something. Right. Is it, it might be, I don't know, but where it's where you kind of give in, it's where you give into the moment. I like that. You you give into the, you're not giving up. You're just going, you're going with the flow that has presented itself. Wow. You are so smart, Joe. I like your definition. I wrote down a Webster definition. Acquiescence? Yeah. That's, I think that's the word, acquiescence. There you go. The reluctant acceptance of something without protest. Yeah. The reluctant. You acquiesce to this. Yes. Yeah. The reluctant acceptance of something without protest. So he gives an example. I love the founding fathers, American history. Thomas Jefferson, which I didn't know this about him, but apparently he had a speech impediment. Yeah. He was quiet, contemplative, and reserved, yet he had a desire to have success in politics. Now, in his day, there were some great orators, speakers, Patrick Henry, John Wesley, Edmund Burke were some of the examples given here. You think of any of the founding fathers, you think of their great speeches that they gave. But he realized that was not his specialty. Somehow he realized his strength was in writing. And aren't we glad that he went the path of writing? It's very interesting. Yes, he was quiet. He did have a speech impediment. Interestingly enough, not a terribly confident public speaker either. But when it, come, when it came to his writing skills, of all people, Benjamin Franklin assigned the writing of the Declaration of Independence to Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. I mean, you talk about somebody with writing skills, but Benjamin Franklin assigned this to Thomas Jefferson, which is an honor. I believe this is the opening of the Declaration of Independence that you're talking about, Joe. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I mean, is there... A more eloquent I can't way. think of a <laughs> I can't think of a better life path, a general overview mm-hmm. for in society. Yeah, so his dream was broad, like the that success he wanted in politics, but the path wasn't what he first thought it was gonna be. Joe, have you ever found a blocked road and still got to your ultimate destination? Oh gosh, yes. <laughs> I can think of I can think of something specific, and this is work related. So several years back, I was, I was tasked with putting together our trade show. Not a trade show itself, but our booth in a trade show, the company I worked for, which happens to be the same company that I work for now. I was tasked with, with putting together our presentation at a trade show in Chicago. And part of that trade show, part of the presentation, part of the booth, was we were shipping a large machine to Chicago to put in our booth. Now, this is no small task. I mean, this trade show cost nearly $100,000 to participate in it. So it was quite an investment for the company. Well, in short, through a comedy of errors, 
The machine that was shipping to Chicago shipped wet. The paint on the machine shipped wet. (laughs) So it made the trip from Cincinnati to Chicago on a flatbed truck with a tarp over it with wet paint. Uh, Can you imagine how it looked when it arrived? Apparently not too great to show at a trade show. Absolutely not. It's like I arrive. I arrive and the machine is just uh, in terrible shape. Unpresentable. Unpresentable. Absolutely. And I had to think about, wow, how do I present this machine? What am I going to do? Because the trade show was like in two days. Okay. We had several options. I could have shipped the machine back and had them repaint it. Mm. We could have just eliminated the machine from the booth altogether. Yeah. Which was not an option because that was the, that all of our marketing for the booth, all of our marketing for the show was done around this piece of equipment. And then there was, try to get it, try to get it fixed locally. So I found a local auto repair shop, Mm. auto body shop. Yeah. Who I was able to, they were able to get me in. They set aside all their other jobs. Yeah. We paid for it. Believe me. Right. They set aside all their other jobs, brought the machine in, repainted it, cured the paint in their, whatever, their heat booth. Yep. And then shipped it to the show. Wow. This, or yeah, shipped it back to the show. Yep. Now this auto body shop was probably two miles from the show. Okay. So we had to pull it on the back of a truck on a trailer. This is a big I would say it's a 12,000 pound piece of equipment. So it's a big piece of equipment. Pull it on the back of this trailer, take it to the paint booth, get the paint done and back into the show in two days. And through the work of some very talented riggers there in Chicago, Hmm. very talented painter. And I talk about will. I mean, I, I, Hmm. this is one of those situations where I had to muster up the will to just keep pushing. And that certainly was an obstacle that when all was said and done, the machine looked beautiful. Nobody would have known the difference. <laughs> and and I actually received a lot of compliments on the show and how the show turned out. But two days before yeah. the show, there was no show for me because of this machine. There's a lot of lessons in that. But well done, Joe. I didn't know. Where, I was getting excited to hear this story because I was curious. It sounded like a disaster that was not going to be fixed in time. It was a disaster, yeah. but we came out on the end of it okay. What did you say to the local auto body shop? How did you approach him? I mean, you didn't know you didn't know him at all. He just walked in? Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. I called him on the yeah. phone. Yeah. And I said, "Here's my situation." Wow. Good uh, for you. And he's and I explained to him yeah. my problem and whether he could find room in his, in his schedule. Right. I think part of the reason they took it in was the uniqueness of the situation. I mean, they have a story to tell too. Yeah. I have a story to tell and they have a story to tell about this Yahoo that called him. <laughs> Look what we did. You know, yeah. you could do a commercial on that. Seven o'clock on, yeah. on a whatever. Awesome. I don't remember what Saturday morning or something like that. Yeah. Unique. Trying to get this machine painted and for a long time. Whenever I would go to Chicago, I'd stop in that paint booth really? and talk to him. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah. And we would reminisce about, yeah. about them doing this work. It was awesome. So that's a great story. I'll just finish up this section with, you know, if you want to use 
a metaphor that life is a game. It means playing the dice or the chips or the cards where they fall. Play it where it lies, a golfer would say. Right. I've been watching a lot of golf lately. You can't panic when the ball goes in the rough. And you watch these pros, boy. They take a disaster and make these shots that are incredible. Seems like that's the fun of watching on a Sunday afternoon. Some of these world-class golfers rescue themselves out of big trouble like that. Follow the events where they take you. It's like water rolling downhill. It always gets to the bottom eventually, doesn't it? And it takes the path of least resistance That's right. as well. Yeah. But the interesting thing about the path of least resistance, if you watch water flowing, when you see the path water takes, yeah. Yeah. it doesn't look like it would be the path of least resistance. <laughs> it's jagged. Right? It's jagged. It goes through narrow pieces of rock or over into a direction that you wouldn't think to go. But that water finds the path of least resistance. Ah, I agree. But it doesn't look like the Ah, path of least resistance. That's right. Until the water meets. This is so good. It doesn't look like the path of least resistance until the water meets the obstacle. That's right. And it finds a way either through or around or over the obstacle. And there's something something there. There's something there to that. Yeah, Yeah. I like that a lot. (laughs) You're, you must know the story of Steven Spielberg, of course, talented in so many ways, but knocking on doors to become a writer or a producer of movies and knocking on those doors. Are, there's a lot of resistance there. I think he just set up shop in some movie studio and started acting like he had the jobs. I think he snuck in. Yeah, I think yeah. he snuck into the movie studio and just started working. <laughs> I guess somebody eventually decided to pay him. I don't know. Like, who is this guy? He's doing really well. Oh, yeah. He's done well for himself. When you're robust and resilient enough to handle whatever occurs, you can't do anything about it anyway. You're looking at a big enough picture and long enough timeline that whatever you have to accept is still only a negligible blip on your way to your goal. Perseverance was the other chapter I looked at. If persistence is attempting to solve some difficult problem with dogged determination and hammering until the break occurs, then plenty of people can be said to be persistent. But perseverance is something larger. It's the long game. It's what happens not just in round one, but in round two and every round after. And then the fight after that and the fight after that until the end. Can you think of an example where perseverance overtook an obstacle even with several setbacks, where a setback maybe even motivated you more to never quit. I think back to my basketball days on this one, and a lesson I learned from a good friend of mine who eventually became an all-state basketball player. And we were good friends. I thought I knew him. But boy, one thing I learned through some of the tough times, especially like in our senior year, You did not want to piss him off. He did not shy from contact or anything. I mean, if you stole the ball from him, he got angry. I could see it coming, too. I was like, and I think it came from two other older brothers that he had. I saw them get into a fight one time in practice. And that was the first time I saw it. And they went at it 
like, oh my gosh, like two brothers can go at each other. I think that is a sign of a great athlete too, where the harder it gets, the more determined they get to win. I remember, I remember a time when I was the manager, sales manager of an insurance agency here in, here in actually Northern Kentucky. Uh, I'm in Texas right now, but what I mean is in, it's in Northern Kentucky, which is basically Southern Cincinnati. And I was tasked with growing this sales office. And in order to grow the sales office, you had to find good salespeople. And I can't tell you how many salespeople I had to go through to find a handful of good salespeople. First of all, you start with the interview process. And then once you think you have found somebody, and then bringing them on board, training them, and then having them not produce. Right. And so you've made this investment. You're like, gosh. And when you talk about perseverance, it's about focus. And you really do have to focus. In that situation, you have to focus on the long game. If I want to find 10 good salespeople, I may have to go through 100 people. Wow. Right. Until I find those 10 good salespeople. Hmm. And even those 10 good salespeople are not, you only, if you have 10 good salespeople, you really, if you have 10 salespeople, you really have about two good salespeople. Wow. When you're building a sales team, what I found early in my career is that you do have to have the long game and you do have to not put a lot of investment in a single decision to hire a single salesperson. Yeah. You have to say, okay, I'm, I know that I'm going, and it's, this is sales in general at this, in the simplest form. I know that I'm going to have to go through a hundred people and I know that I'm going to bring people on who will make promises to me about what they can do or yeah. what they have done or talents that they have. And they've either lied or they're not as talented as they thought they were. Right. And then you, they eventually filter themselves out for lack of a better way of putting it. And you feel like this is never going to happen. This mm. is just never going to happen. But focusing on the long game. I like it. And with perseverance, you have to, with, focusing on the long game and with perseverance, it'll shake out. Mm. But when you go through those first 10 people and you've hired 10 people and a month later, one of them is still there. You're mm. like, oh, gosh, I know I've got it. But what you do is you learn through that process. You learn about, okay, what am I doing wrong in the interview process? What am I doing wrong in the pre-selection process? Mm. What am I doing wrong in the hiring process? What am I doing wrong in the training process? And if you just have, perseverance without the attitude of learning from your mistakes, you're never going to, you may have all the patience and perseverance in the world, if I said that right, but you're still not going to get to your destination unless you learn from your mistakes. Fantastic example. I think that's true of all hiring. I'm going through that. I'm going to talk about that a little bit in my wins for the week couple last comments on perseverance, Joe. When Antonio Pigafetta, that's an interesting name, the assistant to Magellan on his trip around the world, reflected on his boss's greatest and most admirable skill, what do you think he said? It had nothing to do with sailing. The secret to his success was Magellan's ability to endure hunger better than any other man. I thought that was an interesting comment. 
So our actions can be constrained, but our will can't be. Our plans, even our bodies can be broken, but belief in ourselves, no matter how many times we are thrown back, we alone retain the power to decide to go once more or to try another route, or at least to accept the reality and decide upon a new aim. Determination, if you think about it, is invincible. Nothing other than death can prevent us from following Churchill's old acronym, KBO, keep buggering on. Nice. Nice. <laughs> I knew you'd like that one. One of my one of my <laughs> top 10 favorite quotes comes from Winston Churchill, which is, if you're going through hell, keep going. That's right. So there we go. That's our finishing up of the book. The obstacle is the way. Talk this about- is a really good book. Ryan yeah. Holiday's done a very good job at capturing the Stoic philosophy and putting it in a clear, concise, modern way of thinking. And well done on this book. I'm glad you recommended us to do this book, Kurt, and we move forward with it because this has been a really good discussion. Yeah, some deep thoughts there. Again. You always got to pull the little nuggets out. I think we did that. And let's finish up with our wins for the week. Joe, what's yours? Well, I am going to lean on my job change again for this week. Okay. This is the second week of the, I'm coming into the third week of the job. Last week was the second week of the job. The first week was kind of a homecoming celebration and a lot of hugs and good to see you again and things like that. You did some planning and of course you set the foundation for some important work, but there was a that first week was really largely a homecoming celebration for me. This week, I knew that this week I had some travel coming up, which are some sales calls and some customer visits and that kind of work. Right. So last week, I really had to buckle down and plan for this week and open up schedule and schedule customer visits and schedule the travel planning and plan the travel and just schedule the whole week. And I came down to Thursday or Friday, and the week was not shaking out like I thought it would. But I kept pushing through, kept making phone calls, kept reaching out to customers, and I have a full week scheduled for this week. So I'm going to call that a win for the week. I love, yeah. This week of travel, put together, I have my, my presentations put together, my, my plan is in place. I have a couple of colleagues that are here with me making these calls. So nice. really, I'm looking forward to the week ahead of myself, a week ahead of I can't wait to ahead. Talk to you on Saturday and see how the week went. My win for the week, similar to you talking about interviewing people, I've interviewed a couple of people for trying to help another group in our company to hire someone similar to the position that I do. Joe, too often I'm not confident in my abilities or I worry I'm not keeping up. But one thing I learned by interviewing a couple of people, that I really do have a lot more experience and ability than I thought I did. And I'm not saying that to be. <laughs> overly confident at all it's just i think going out there and interviewing or hiring people as you say is not a simple thing maybe more so these days than ever before but that's my win for a week i got a little confidence this week from interviewing other a little people. confidence boost i mean it's we sometimes we need some perspective to understand who we are yeah and when you see when you're interviewing people and you, you may think that there's Thousands of people out there more talented than you. Yeah. And you find that, man, I'm pretty talented. And you don't want to come, you're not necessarily comparing yourself, but there is parity, right? And you are, when you are able to 
look at a marketplace and there's no better way to look at the talent out there in the marketplace than when you're interviewing people and you realize that, wow, I've got skills. Well, I'm at a senior level and I think it's just the confirming moment that, yeah, it's not that they're not talented. It's just, I'm at a different level than they were in the area we were talking about. All right. How about a resource for this week, Joe? I have started a book. And I don't know if I've mentioned this book or not, but it really is a it really is a book that I'm excited to finish because it's I'm about halfway through it now and it has been it has just been fantastic. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer, C-O-M-E-R. And it, it certainly has a faith foundation to it. But even if you tend to veer away from faith-based resources or faith-based articles or faith-based books, I really invite you to pick up this book and if necessary, filter out all the faith-based stuff out of it because there really is some good stuff, some good philosophies about being in a hurry and what being in a hurry does and how we need to slow down in our everyday life and slow down our whole perspective. So the book is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Oh, I can't wait to talk to you more about that. We're going to do a show about this. Okay. Eventually. All right, Joe. Fantastic. My resource, I'm going to go into that software we've been talking about, Descript, a little bit. And you and I were talking on Saturday. You were interested in some of the details of what my experience was with Descript. This is the artificial intelligence program I'm using to edit my podcast specifically. But there was a feature in there I hadn't tried yet, Joe, and I uploaded my voice, 30 minutes of one of my podcasts, just my voice alone. And it takes about a day. They tell you to turn it around, but it's the ability to use what they call their overdub feature capability. And I ended up using it on my podcast editing on Sunday. I was promoting my Grand Geek and Gathering that's happening September 28th to October 3rd. And would you believe in that recording, I said October 28th to October 3rd. And I may sneak in that little snippet to have you hear what Overdub and Descript did for it. But it changed the word from October to September. And was it seamless? Did it sound like, wow, that's... You be the judge. I'll play it for you. And then you can tell me. All right. But I'll save that for you. You can listen into the show. I'll put it, I'll sneak that in here. Oh, it's so fun. G3 coming up, guys. September 28th to October 1st. I'll be there two weeks, just about. So there you go. I'm really enjoying Descript and the capabilities, making my podcast editing much simpler and faster and <laughs> correcting my speech. But there was a isn't, couple isn't problems. Isn't technology amazing? Yeah, just that, that's you mind-blowing. Can, you can type a word. Yeah. And it'll, we're in for, I'm a little fearful to be honest (laughs) with you, because when I call my, my financial company, they use voice recognition to confirm my identity. Interesting. And this is a little fearful. Yeah, I know. What's your quote for the week? I went, I reached back to one of the ancient Stoics again, Epictetus, and it's so appropriate, especially how you start at the show. Epictetus says, Man is not worried by real problems so much as by his imagined anxieties about real problems. Wow. That's from 
ancient Stoic philosophy. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> I always find that amazing. And w- how many things <laughs> do we worry about now? Yeah. That we've, we're not worried about the real problem. We're worried about what our imagination is telling us about the real problem. We worry more than they probably did back in ancient Rome. I have a whole thought about this, and it's not a new thought necessarily, Kurt, but I have a whole thought that as human beings, we need stress in our life. We need a battle of some sort. And in absence of the lying attacking us or us worried about the bear sneaking up on us in camp, we just make stuff up to worry about. (laughs) We do. No question (laughs) about that. That is a fantastic quote. I've not seen that one. Even though it's an area I've been studying. Fantastic. Well, again, I'm going back to one of your favorites, Joe, in history. One of your people. Gentlemen, I am hardening on this enterprise. I repeat, I am now hardening towards this enterprise. Winston Churchill. Oh, yeah. He's He's getting mad now, right? He's got punched in the face. Yep. Yep. (laughs) And it's only made him madder. Yep. Right. Yeah, he's great, man. He's great. <laughs> so I, I just think from each loss, he got more determined to succeed. They weren't winning at all by any stretch of the imagination in the beginning. What's amazing to me about, you talk about heroes of the past. Winston Churchill is certainly one of those revered people. Unlikely right? revered too, men. I think, if you look at yes where he was at the time. Winston Churchill, the public just kind of pushed him aside. Right. They didn't once, think much of him. Once, once he won the war, it's like, okay, we don't need you anymore. Oh, okay. That too. Yeah. And they moved on. Oh, okay. Right. I'm sure our pal Kevin Curtis Allen will give us some commentary about that. Kevin, if you're out there, yeah. tell us what you think about Winston Churchill. <laughs> Take us home, Joe. Our website is dudesinprogress.com. And along with that, our email address is dudes at dudesinprogress.com. If you want to reach out to us, ask us a question or give us your comments about the show, that's the best place to do it. Dudes at dudesinprogress.com. So as we leave this early Tuesday morning, remember, progress is better than perfection. So let's keep moving forward. If you don't succeed, keep trying, Joe. We'll do better next time. (laughs) I'll talk to you later, Bob. Have a great week. (laughs) 